0: Thanks again for joining us here at the St. John's campus of Redeemer Church. If you haven't done so already, we would love for you to subscribe to our content here on the Redeemer Podcast. And a great way for you to stay connected throughout the week and everywhere you go is with the Redeemer app. It's free, and you can download it wherever you get your apps from. Just search for DeWitt Redeemer Church. Right now, let's go to this week's message from Pastor Tim Trometer Growth isn't easy. For the first years of our lives, we grow given the proper nourishment and care. Sustainable growth, however, whether it be personal, professional, spiritual, or organizational growth, comes with a price. Real growth doesn't just happen. It's challenging and takes determination and a willingness to take risks. Maui, from the Disney movie Moana, had to wrestle with his personal growth. As a demigod, Maui was gifted with great power, yet even with his magic fishhook, he still struggled to understand his purpose in life. Amidst his struggle, Moana speaks truth to Maui, and he finds within himself that which was already there. And then something amazing happens. Instead of being the I-work-alone-never-need-anybody demigod, Maui becomes something greater. Let's take a look. Maui became a mentor. Until this point, Muwana demanded that Maui sail to Te Fiti and return the heart. Her job was to find Maui and convince him to return the heart. And when Maui reclaimed who he was, he began to train Muwana as a wayfinder. You see, this was more than a knot tying class. It was navigation by the stars, seamanship, and, and sailing on the open ocean. Maui shifted from an internal focus to being outwardly focused. And the dynamic of the story of the entire movie changes. You see, the same is true in biblical church growth. When we move from being inwardly focused to outwardly focused, everything changes. And the Holy Spirit can move in our midst, and growth happens, and it happens fast. When when God is at work at building the church, it's explosive. Fast, explosive, growth is biblical, and God expects the St. John's campus and subsequently his kingdom to multiply exponentially. Over the last few weeks, we have looked at the beginning of Acts where the church grew to over 3,000 overnight, but the growth didn't stop there. We find examples of this growth throughout Acts, like in Acts 2.47 where it says, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Daily, God was adding people to the family of Christ. Then, Acts 4.4 says, But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. And that's just the men. Things get even wilder in Acts 6 as God's math changes. It says, The believers rapidly multiplied. You see, up until this point, God only added to the number of believers, from hundreds to thousands, and then God switched from addition to multiplication, multiplying the church rapidly. Understand, Holy Spirit-led church growth is like a wildfire burning out of control. Acts chapter 21 uses the word myriads to describe the number of people turning to Christ. Tens of thousands of believers in Jerusalem alone. God wants wants an all-consuming wildfire growth to happen here too. Can you see it happening here? Because I can. So, how do we begin? Where do we start? Well, wildfire growth starts with three commitments. Commitment to mission. Commitment to the unchurched and commitment to new life in Christ. So let's take a look at each of these commitments for explosive wildfire growth. And the first is wildfire growth requires commitment to mission. To begin, we turn to the story of Stephen. And Acts 6-8 tells us a little bit about him saying, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Now, the Holy Spirit used Stephen's preaching and his life to influence so many people that he became a threat to the Jewish hierarchy, and it literally got him killed. So this is the account of Stephen's execution. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the region of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Stephen took his commitment seriously, so serious it cost him his life. And I wonder, do we share his resolve? You see, he wasn't playing church. It wasn't a game of faith to him. Stephen was stoned to death for what he believed in. And then Saul began persecuting the Christ followers. It was not a safe time to be a committed believer, but really, is it ever a safe time? Holy Spirit-inspired growth demands personal commitment, not a superficial faith that ends when things get tough. Because life has its challenges. That there is no easy path. There are mountains to climb and valleys to endure. We experience both highs and lows in our faith journey. What defines us, though, is our faithfulness and commitment along the way. I liken it to the relational vows in marriage. A few weeks ago, I was blessed to officiate at a wedding of a friend or a friend's kids. And I shared at the wedding how culture mis- our culture misunderstands marriage. Today's society doesn't understand the Christian call to covenantal relationship, the vow of living into a different way of life. Our covenantal vows go beyond our momentary struggle. Today, many choose to bail out when things get tough under the false assumption that we are supposed to be happy all the time. It is the for better or worse, the in sickness or in health moments that define who we are. These moments not only define us, but also determine if we indeed have any faith at all. Just like in marriage, it's not that we say I love you when things are going well. It's how we love our spouse the other 90% of the time. Growing the St. John's campus to 202 years will take great commitment. It will mean committing to our church vows. And there are five commitment areas that every person who joins Redeemer Church is asked to make. And they are that each will support Redeemer Church with his or her prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. To pray for the church, the people, its mission, and leaders... Recall Philippians 4, 6, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. To be present and a part of the worshiping community. Remember Hebrews 10:25, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. To be generous and financially support the ministries of Redeemer Church on a consistent and proportional basis. Recall Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 9, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need, Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. To serve. To serve in the community of faith and in the community around us as representatives of Christ for the world to see. As Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And lastly, to witness. First here at our St. John's campus, which is our Jerusalem. Then to all who live in the St. John's school district, our Judea. Then expanding out to the marginalized in our community, witnessing with our lives, sharing the hope of Christ with others to the ends of the earth. That was Christ's call in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Living out these vows gives us the ability to fulfill our mission to connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. We live in a culture where it's easy to bail out on our vows, it's, it's almost expected that we will when things get hard or don't go the way we expect them to. But it's how we live out our vows in the times of struggle that define just how committed we are, just how deep our faith in Christ goes. And as bad as things looked, Saul's persecutions forced the early church to leave Jerusalem and take the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And Acts 8 finally began to materialize. Listen to how Acts 8, 4 and 5 record it. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people about the Messiah. So our second point is that wildfire growth requires a commitment to reaching the unchurched. So Philip fled to Samaria from Jerusalem, becoming the first person to reach out to the marginalized in society. Recall that the Jews hated the Samaritans, and Philip grew a thriving ministry in Samaria, and then God called him to go to what many considered the ends of the earth, Ethiopia. In the first century Greco-Roman world, Ethiopia was the southern edge of the known world, and Acts 8 records what happened there. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in the carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, Do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, How can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of Scripture he had been reading was this, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, And as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him of the good news of Jesus Christ. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, There is some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself further north at the town of Astros. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Philip leaves a thriving ministry in Samaria and travels to Ethiopia. And on the way, he meets a eunuch and leads him to Christ. Then Philip is whooshed away by the Holy Spirit and and proclaims the good news of Jesus. Philip's Energy and excitement are through the roof, and ours would be true. For those of you who have walked with someone who has professed faith in Christ for the first time and has experienced the Holy Spirit's work, you understand. You can't witness such power and grace and not get excited. Philip's work in Samaria and his encounter with the Ethiopian demonstrate that there are no barriers between the message of Christ and and the people in this community in St. John's and in the world. I want to say that again, because I need you to hear this. What this text demonstrates, and that Philip's work in Samaria and his encounter with the Ethiopian demonstrate to us is that there is no barrier between the message of Christ and the people who live in this community and the world. No obstacle can stand between any person and the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So I ask you, what gets in our way? What prevents us from talking with our neighbors about Christ? What fears hold us back? If we desire wildfire growth to happen here in this place, it means being fiercely focused on the unchurched, the de-churched, the non-churched, the nominally-churched, the nuns and the duns. That's what it's going to take. The third point, the third commitment that we must make is that wildfire growth requires a commitment to new life in Christ. Before the Apostle Paul found new life in Christ, he was known as Saul. The man who wrote, love is patient, love is kind, is the same man who stood stood by approving Stephen's death. But while Saul was on his way to Damascus, he met Jesus and his life was never the same. His life-changing experience is found in Acts 9, which says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priests and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Saul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his life was never the same. Not even his name remained the same, because he was no longer the same person. Saul was made new in Christ. You see, when we meet Jesus, everything about us changes. We become a new person in Christ. This experience is so transformative that Paul wrote these words about it in 2 Corinthians 5. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Now, I genuinely hope and pray that you have been made new in Christ. And if not, I would love to set up a time to get together for a coffee and we can talk about it. But as a pastor, I'm often asked, how do we know for sure that we've been changed? How do we know for sure that we've been saved? So, and people were skeptical with Paul, too, because they knew him as Saul, the persecutor. But Paul had become a new person in Christ. And so to learn how to know for sure, we turn to Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 6 verses 43 and through 45 which say a good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit a tree is identified by its fruit figs are never gathered from thorn bushes and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart and an evil produ- person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart what you say Flows from what is in your heart. To know if what has happened is real, look at the fruits of life, what occurs as a result of the new life in Christ. For Paul, he immediately began sharing his faith and performing miraculous acts among the people. The way to tell if a person is a Christ follower is by watching how she or he lives their lives. I want to ask you a really important question. Do you have a life worth watching? Do you realize that we are the message, the Bible study, and the sermon? How we live might determine what another person does with Jesus in their life. You might be the only good news another person ever reads in their life. So I ask you again, Do you live a life worth watching? Like it or not, the world is watching and defining what it means to be a Christ follower by who they see us living our life as. It's not about what happens within these walls. It's not about how we say we love each other when everything is going well. It's about how we love the unchurched, D-Church, Nominally Church, the nuns and the duns. It's the times of better and worse, the moments of in sickness and in health. It's our commitment to connecting all people to the love and life of Jesus Christ. To see all become the new creation that God has called us all to be. So what about you? Have you given your life to Christ? Are you in the process of turning your life over to Jesus? Are you committed to being a part of God's wildfire movement here in St. John's? Do you live a life worth watching? Either way, you are all welcome to join us on this journey. Let's pray. Holy God, we come before you this day with the desire to see your kingdom grow like wildfire. We commit ourselves to your mission in this community to connect people with the love and life of your son, Jesus. We commit ourselves to fiercely focusing our missional outreach on those who are not yet here, who have not come to know you or have fallen away from your church. Lord, we seek a personal connection with you and ask that you would transform us into the new creation you mean for us to be in the image of your son, Jesus. Save us by the saving grace of Christ. Recreate us, Lord. Let us become in you that which you have created us to be. It's in the name of Jesus, your Son, and our Savior, that we pray. And everyone said, Amen.